Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who, if combined, would make one hell of a woodworker. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, it's Wood Talk. It's show number 496, and on today's show, we're talking about wood movement, rasps, diamond stones, store-bought workbenches, and finding free logs. But before we get to that, I want to let you know that Wood Talk is brought to you by Rockler. Still, if you can believe it. (laughs) I don't even know how that worked. How did that happen? (laughs) Uh, Rockler has been helping customers create with confidence for over 65 years. And we've got a pretty cool announcement for you. Rockler is giving away a new product each month to one lucky Wood Talk listener. This month, they're giving away one of their cool new portable drill guides with a self-centering vise. This guide has the precision of a drill press with the portability of a cordless drill. Enter for your chance to win before March 1st at rockler.com slash woodtalk. Uh, yeah. Okay, just making sure I said that right. Uh, while you're there, <laughs> check out the Founders Day sale, which is going on right now. Uh, so again, that's rockler.com slash woodtalk. Get in there by March 1st. This is cool. I know this is something that we kind of worked into the agreement for this coming year, but giveaways in the past, they're great. They're great on paper, but for the people who have to run them, they're a huge pain. Ah, I'm so glad so you said that. When they said, <laughs> yeah, when they said the word giveaway, I was like, uh, uh, <laughs> Do we have and to? And thankfully, it's on their website. They're dealing with it. They're doing the whole thing. So go to Rockler. They're going to take care of you. Rockler.com slash woodtalk and get a chance to win that portable drill so guy. That's the secret. Is See, we have, have Margaret. Do it. Margaret can run it. There you go. Yeah. Or Margaret. We would have her do it. She's been <laughs> yeah. great, though, huh? How about Margaret, huh? Yeah, Woo! Margaret. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Love that Margaret. Anyway, if any if, if you're new, Margaret's the the lady who took over our social media for Wood Talk, <laughs> so she's doing a fantastic job, and we're just uh, letting so her know if, that. Uh, if Wood Talk messages you, it's none of us. Most likely, 
I mean, I still go in there and do stuff once in a while, but it, you know, promoting the show and, and responding and hanging out with people, that's mostly going to be Margaret. I think if we do Seriously, it, we'll be doing I gave it for kudos our own to account. The other day, and it was one of your posts. What's that? I, I gave kudos to Margaret the other day and it was one of your posts. <laughs> right. I was like, that was me. That was me. <laughs> I did that one. Yeah. All right. And if you want to help support the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash woodtalk and signing up to become a patron of the show. This episode, we'd like to thank Paul Fronin. Sure. Derek. There's a Y in there. Ryan Brand. Ryan Brand? Ryan Brand. Whatever. Mm-hmm. And Frank's fabulous and fantastic, frequently fallacious, funny, fabled fabrications. All right. Well done, Frank. We got a message from Frank as well, and he was upset that his name wasn't shouted out the show after he put, you know, signed up for it. And it, I wanted, I didn't have a chance to re- reply, but if you're listening, Frank, uh, these things take time <laughs> <laughs> and we usually record, we record well ahead of time. So it often takes several shows before you actually hear your name. So anyone else who's thinking, you know, Hey, why didn't it, you know, say anything? I just uh, sent them a few bucks. That's why it takes a little time to get that turnaround going. Well, and we only announce the alliterative pat- patrons on even number shows. Correct. Correct. Right. Yeah. Yep. That's a rule. <laughs> There you go. All right. So let's get to uh, to what's on the bench. So I'm going to breeze through the stuff that I've been working on, and then I'm going to talk about bandsaw blades because that has dominated my day. In fact, I was dealing with this bandsaw blade situation right up to the point where I had to get ready to do the show, and it's kind of affecting my brain and might actually affect my my timing and my ability to talk to All you those, guys. All uh, those blade so, fumes. Yeah, the fumes are, are <laughs> they're, they're coming off me. I'm telling you that much. Not all is coming off so, you. <laughs> yeah, a lot of anger say, dealing with some pants, uh, but you know, whatever. Oh, hey, baby. Uh, so I finished <laughs> my gaming desk. I did talk about that last time we did a what's on the bench. Gaming desks desks are done. Uh, the LED lights are installed. They came out great. We're probably all going to die when it explodes, but it's fine. It's totally worth it uh, because there's LED lights coming out of my desk and I think it looks great. Um, I also did a fun little project with Nicole. Um, we have been teasing, maybe some would say threatening, that we're going to do a beginner series on the Wood Whisperer, showing some more basic tools and beginner methods. And I was going to do this, had this project in mind. I designed a little quilt ladder, thought it looked cool, and was getting ready to do it. And I was like, you know what? Wouldn't this be better if there was actually someone who was a beginner <laughs> doing the work? <laughs> You know, because there's always that element like, well, that's fine for you, but, you know, you have X number of years experience and it, it's more realistic if this goes through the hands of someone who doesn't have that experience. So I was like, hey, Nicole, get over here. And uh, she wasn't doing nothing that day. So was getting her hair done or whatever shop she with does. Me. Well, you know, women. Am I right? <laughs> it's- um, so she, uh, <laughs> she was she was not doing anything. My mom decided to watch the kids for us. We took an entire day. And built this quilt ladder and she did a fantastic job. We had a blast. It was hilarious. Uh, just filming it was like the Friday morning show extended across a project. <laughs> so wow. as, I, all, as all I'm the doing people this who hate though, your morning show will love this one. Oh my God. They're going to love it. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Uh, the, the whole thing was like, as I'm filming, I'm going, you know, this is not the direction I expected this to go. I really wanted this to be simply, you know, mostly just information, but it was becoming so funny uh, that I was like, well, this isn't what I expected, but I think this is better. I think this is actually going to do better. I think people are going to like it more. 
um, having Nicole there through an entire project is actually something we in, in what, 15 years we've been doing this. We have never really done that. So that was cool. Had a lot of fun. Uh, and then I made a gaming headset and controller holder to go along with my fancy desks. Now let's talk about bandsaw blades. So snapped another one, you guys. I don't know, <laughs> Which, uh, I don't know how you keep doing this. <clears throat> you got to reduce the tension or something. Jeez. <laughs> Look, I tension is based on the manufacturer's instructions. Um, so I know it's tensioned properly and I can tell you each time it happens, I can hear it start. And it's a matter of, I mean, you guys know how it is when you're head down, maybe Shannon, you don't cause you haven't operated a power tool in a while, <laughs> but you're head down, you're in the zone, the thing's going and you hear something that's like, maybe I should respond to this. Like your the experience bell is ringing in the back of your mind going, this might be a thing that you should pay attention to, but hold on, let me just finish the cut. Right. And that's Push what harder. Yeah. That's exactly what you should never do. Right. Like if you're at the table saw and you start to feel it bind a little bit, it gets harder to push. You have that moment where you have to go, do I just push through it or do I stop what I'm doing and prevent this thing from going through my stomach? Uh, so it was one of those moments where I heard and kind of felt not heard. I felt a little knock every couple of seconds, like a ding, ding, ding. That wasn't there before. And the only thing I can imagine is that the break that was about to happen was starting. It was starting to separate. And as it's going through and past the bearings, every time it hits a bearing, I feel that little pop. And I just wanted to finish the cut. And then I was going to investigate it too late. It popped on me. So this is the second time I've had a Lennox blade break at the weld. And every single time I do it, the, the people who sold me the blade are like, well, that's weird. <laughs> that, that shouldn't happen. Uh, they always say that the weld should be stronger than the band itself. I don't know metal, so I don't know if that's true, but there's two examples of times when it broke directly on the weld and I don't know what's going on. I'm a woodworker. What do I know? I just so, want to cut wood. Yeah. Just want to cut wood. You guys, that's all I want to do. So, uh, I have a feeling bandsaw blades direct who I bought the blade from. I, Matt, you might know better than me. Do they do the welding there on site? Yeah. Okay. So I don't know if it's a welding problem. I don't know if it's me, but they have taken care of me in the past when I've had problems with this. They were totally responsive. I don't want to throw them under the bus. Um, and I'm sure they're going to take care of me on this as well. But here I am Thursday afternoon, really wanted to finish these lamination. Um, it's basically like sawing veneer out of a bigger board. I really just wanted to finish that before I, you know, called it a day. And right in the middle of one of the cuts, I'm only halfway through the process. This thing breaks. And of course, I'm a ding dong. I don't have a spare. Um, and I certainly don't have a Lennox spare sitting around. It's a $250 blade. Um, so I was kind of screwed. Well, then I decided to look around. I call our sponsors Rockler. Actually, <laughs> I didn't call the sponsor. I mean, I called the store and I said, Hey, do you guys have a 153 inch bandsaw blades? And of course they don't. It's kind of a, uh, you know, I think the, the range of sizes Rockler is probably going to stock in store probably on your, you go up to like your 14 inch bandsaws. This is a PM 1500. It takes 153 inch blade. They don't have them, but the guy was super helpful. He's like, look, we don't carry these, but there's a place called Rocky mountain saw blades that you should call. They do custom sizes. They weld on site. They'll do anything you need. I was like, all right, let me give them a call. Sure enough, call them. They are 15 minutes away. I tell the guy what happened. I said, I kind of need this. I'd love to finish this today. I don't know what your time frame time frames are for welding. He's like, leave now. I'll have it done by the time you get here. Oh, <laughs> so, man. So I drive out there. It takes me 15 minutes to get there. It costs me 20 bucks and I'm back in action and was able to finish the rest of these cuts with a local 
saw blade nice. and I'm like, okay, this is what I'm doing from now on 20 yeah. bucks. I could buy 12 of those. I can go through 12 of those and still be ahead of the cost of one of those Lennox blades. Well, but that was my next question. Forgive me for not, what the hell? Like, why is the Lennox blade so expensive? Is it a carbide braze thing? Like it's carbide tipped. And uh-huh. I have had carbide tipped in the past from Laguna, the resaw King. Right. Uh, but when I switched bandsaws, I just kind of didn't wind up getting another one after that. But until Matt, and this is where I, I can blame Matt for something. Oh, here we go. <laughs> when Matt was out to my shop, we were talking about various tools and you know, he makes me buy things. And one of the things he had suggested was a Lennox bandsaw blade with the, the carbide tips and he, he sang its praises. And apparently he does fine with it. He doesn't have the problems that I have, but Matt, I, I uh, don't, so I literally don't. <laughs> what, I mean, a lot of people have this perspective, like what's the point of the carbide tips? Why does a bandsaw need that? Why do you need that? Uh, it gives me the least amount of BS. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't drift. I don't have to set the guides up. I don't have to really do any setup on the saw to tune it or like get it tracking correctly or anything. I throw the mm-hmm. blade on the saw and it cuts straight every single time and it keeps doing that for years. Yeah. Years it and years and years. A long, I mean, that's the point of the $250 investment that it's supposed to last a very, very long time. Yeah. Sure. I, I'm, I mean, the that, ones that, that makes I've replaced. Sense. Go ahead, Shannon. No, it, it just, I mean, it makes sense. The carbide's going to run cooler. It's going to be sharper. It's just not going to be it's not going to want to deviate, you know, the, the, the non carbide blades, they, they can heat up, they can expand, they can start to like want to find the path of least resistance. And that's where like barrel cuts and things come from. Mm -hmm. This thing just cuts and it stays nice and cool. So yeah, it makes, it makes perfect sense. But man, when, how, how far apart were these two Linux blades, Mark? Like the Um, first one that broke, they replaced it. And then that replacement broke. Like what was the time period? Yeah, it's been a few months and it's really? it's seen light use between then and now. Uh, haven't done a lot of heavy bandsaw work. Today was the first day that I really was going to put this thing through its paces. And I had only made about five cuts. And this is not a big resaw. It's only about um, maybe three and a half inches wide. Just the board of walnut cutting perfectly smooth. Like the thing cuts like a dream until it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, until, <laughs> until it breaks. Until it breaks. <laughs> the first half of the cut is always great. It's the second part when it breaks. That's yeah. It's, it's I the mean, after the break cut that's really a pain. It's, it's weird. That's like I don't take that blade off my saw. I've been running that blade. Well, that's that size of blade or whatever since 2014. I'm on my third one now. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what it is. I don't know. I don't have them breaking on me. I replace them when they get little, like they get worn and the cut gets kind of rough. Yeah. So it, it still cuts fine. But like for joinery, it's not really like great. Right. So I'm like, yeah, just replace it. It's been like two or three years. I might as well just kick it. The one I have on there right now is, uh, it was new when I built the high boy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So two years. That was two years ago. Or no, three. When the heck? Why did I do that? Three years ago? Two years ago. I don't know. Long time. It's ago. been a little while. Back back well, in your. Yeah. In those, well, and that's what I was going for. Like, if if there's something that costs more money, but truly in the long run, if you have the luxury of, of being able to afford that thing. And it buys you just number one, better quality while it's in use. And then also last longer. I always yeah. want to play that long game, you know, if I can. So that's why, you know, the, the whole concept of a um, carbide tipped bandsaw blade was attractive to me. It was, I thought, a good investment. Um, but this is twice now that I've had the problem and I'm just left going, well, look, maybe it's me. I don't know. But it keeps breaking at the weld and I'm tired of this. Uh, and, and I really should have a backup blade. That's my fault for not having that. But 
I'm like you, Mark. I'm a complete idiot when it comes to welding, but it just sounds like they were made like in the same batch or whatever. And they, there's just, it was a bad weld. Um, like, and that particular production run all have bad welds. So, you know, I don't know if they have, you know, tracking numbers, anything on those blades. I just wonder if it all came right around the same time and you just are lucky enough to have two blades pulled from the same production run. Yeah. But again, not knowing anything about welding, Matt, <laughs> you know something about welding. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, like, you saw all, my picture. All I can think of is, is soldering. Like you've got I, the solder and you're melting it into place and the solder joins it. And like the solder, if the solder itself were bad, like something was wrong with it, or, you know, if the glue is expired, you know, or the finish is expired, mm-hmm. it's the glue joint's going to fail. Right. So correct me if I'm wrong. There's something, there's a reagent, right. When you're welding, unless you're actually like heating it up to like welding temperature and taking two pieces of steel and, hammering them together when you're welding there is something there's a solder everyone keeps talking about the um annealing process and they see the break and uh, the people who if i'm to trust commenters on facebook (laughs) which i don't often do um (laughs) they're saying that it looks like the weld was bad and that something went wrong with the annealing process those are all words i don't understand i don't know yours looks a little more blue i'm like in mind like oh let me let me just check my well and see what it looks like yeah. yours looks really blue i've seen a couple people mention that that the blue is too intense that it, again i don't know how like, what the process is but that it just the blue indicates something bad so when they so weld it brittle. the weld is gonna be very brittle yeah so then they yes, have to anneal it to soften that. it so then it can flex again okay otherwise it'll break every time gotcha right same thing with with our you know our chisels and things like that if you anneal it too hard it then becomes brittle, um, which is why like on your Japanese chisels, there's that laminated, you know, really, really hard bit over top of the softer bit. But well, that's a different reason, but same idea, right. different rock hardness. <laughs> Never mind. So I've heard, shutting up. I've heard both uh, statements made on this, that the weld is the strongest part of the blade. And then I've heard that the weld is the weak point in the blade. If, if done correctly, it should be the strongest point. <laughs> okay. Right. And if you but have, that, a, there's if too you, many variables though, I think for the well fit to be like a true statement because well, in, in the real life, in the real world, too many things can happen that can cause it to be not the strongest part of the blade. Yeah. And but, I guess it, it reminds me of like a wood joint where someone said, if it was, if the weld was good, the break should occur adjacent to the weld. And it, it, if that's the case, if it holds true, it's kind of like with woodworking, if you have a really good joint, chances are when you break that and you purposely try to break across the joint, uh, what you're going to do is actually break right next to the joint. Right. Similar sort of thing. That's a good, that's a good way to put it. I like that. Yeah. So anyway, I now have a local company that I can go to that, you know, is very close to me that I could uh, support them and and have a blade anytime I need it and can afford multiples if I want to stock up on them. We'll see how this one cuts. You know, it's, it's a run of the mill kind of blade. It's not, <laughs> I like using that statement when it's actually like accurate sounding. Um, <clears throat> you know what I'm talking about? Run of the mill. Oh, I, I do. Yeah. I okay. got a mill. Matt, you know, know what I'm talking about. about. I know how to run the mill. Shannon, you I work actually, at it. I actually use like that, that expression every day, but I mean it literally. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's, you know, it's, I don't think the blade itself is going to be anything special. It's going to dull a lot quicker than I'm used to, but with my track record, I don't see any other choice, but to to take this path and to go the inexpensive route and just uh, let's see how that goes for a while. So yeah, that, that was my day. Um, And that's definitely (laughs) enough out of me. Um, That was my day. Yeah, it was a good one. (laughs) What do you got going on, Matt? 
uh, I started working on a on a project. Started building a chest of drawers today. What? Well, actually, I started it like last week, but I started doing joinery today. And oh, well, I was doing some other stuff too. But uh, I'm actually like, I'm in the shop. I'm actually working on things, and and I definitely I stopped the the shop setup early because I'm like, God, I just I, need to, I just want to start like like cutting wood and like you making gotta, stuff. Got to do something. Yeah. So I I got my new dust collector assembled but i didn't install ducting because i'm like ah i don't feel like doing that right now mm-hmm. so i have my old um uh, laguna one that's on wheels and i got a flex hose for it and i'm doing the whole you know hooking up a tool every single time you want to use it thing oh, that's fun yeah it's for the birds <laughs> it's, it's it's not for me like i know people are like oh, i like doing this because i don't know why but whatever i don't i don't like it you know how i don't i know i don't like it this is how I know I'm, I'm to that point now where I'm thinking like, do I really for this one or two cuts? Do I really need dust collection for this? Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's how I know. I'm like, this is bad. Right. This is so yeah, anyway, <laughs> Matt's Matt's full of first world problems this week. Sure. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. So I think I'm going to bump up the whole uh, installing ductwork thing a little bit higher on the priority list because I, I just can't keep doing this. It's so annoying. Well, especially if you come from you know, a situation where you didn't have to go from tool to tool going that step backwards is I imagine more challenging. I did. I did buy Izzy's new, like, like the quick connect locking yeah, yeah. port hopes things, mm-hmm. whatever they are, which is good. I'm going to, it's going to be helpful for like, I am, I'm setting up a few of the tools to like, just be like, pull them out when you need them kind of thing, mm-hmm. like the drum sander. So I'm not going to have it. a dust, collection drop where it's parked i'm gonna like roll it over to where it's gonna be used so having those connectors will make that a little bit easier because i can have a little drop where i can hook up different tools as i kind of go so i'm still going to use those in the future but for the the big four in my shop the table saw the jointer planer and bandsaw swapping that hose around is like it's just obnoxious yeah plus the hose is not long it's not long enough either so i gotta like i gotta roll the collector somewhere close yeah which is kind of in the way most of the time too. get down on the floor. Cause on a table saw, I got like get between the table saw and the Alfie table, get down in there, hook up the hose and then maybe get to work a little bit. So <laughs> hundreds yeah, of small happening. shop, uh, listeners right now are going, Oh, <laughs> poor baby. <laughs> See, well, it's the thing I've been there. I've done this before. <laughs> yeah. And I finally had the glorious moment where I'm like, no more. <laughs> and I set up dust collection in my, old shop when i moved into it because i'm like i'm not doing this anymore yeah. i'm doing plum duct work uh and yeah now i'm now not realize i remember why i was so adamant about getting it done and installing it yeah, in that course. last shop sure like, it's, because All you right. actually use it then yeah but at least when you get down on the floor to hook up the hose the floor is nice and warm that is that is it's true actually. It's warm and it's well epoxied it looks nice yeah, it does know? it does look good and it is nice and warm I will say that much. I do just kind of lay on the floor for no reason sometimes. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, man. Good for you. Right on. Uh, me? Sure. Um, what's on my bench? Well, <laughs> yeah, <you>. actually, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm working on an article uh, about softwoods currently for Woodsmith Magazine, which is What's a magazine? What's that? Oh, <laughs> what's a magazine? Yeah. yeah so what's a magazine? It's one of those things that it has pieces of paper oh, it's kind of like a book paper. Mark, but much much smaller okay it's like a book but you don't hate yourself quite so much when you write for them 
<laughs> yeah. Until you get the hundred dollar paycheck. Right. Oh yeah. Then you're like, what did I do this for? Get them yeah. Benjis. <laughs> but you know, this, this is fun. Cause it's a different take on, on softwoods, um, kind of premium softwoods, um, faux, faux hardwoods, if you will. Uh, that's kind of fun. But at the same time, uh, as I understand, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, on newsstands right now is another Woodsmith magazine that has a, an article about sawing in it that I wrote. And I've been oh, hearing cool. some good feedback on that. So apparently I did something right with that. So yeah, that's a, it's a lot of fun. I'm enjoying working with these guys, having, having worked with other magazines in the past. Uh, it's always <laughs> been pleasant, but this has been, uh, this has been a lot of fun. Well, Woodsmith is great. I mean, the magazine, the people seem great. Um, it's a great publication. Well, I echo you know, that. Do, doing my best to bring that reputation down. So one article down, <laughs> we'll see after the second one exactly well, how people people feel about, yeah, about what's meant. They used to be a great publication. <laughs> clarify. Now so. they just let anybody in there. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That sounds good. All right, so we have one piece of keek, keek back here. Um, not sure why I instinctively said it that way. Uh, do you guys remember last week we had a voicemail asking us about the fish or cut bait isms. If there's anything for woodworking, we couldn't come up with anything. <laughs> no, we were <laughs> at we all failed. We failed yeah. miserably. So Damon had some suggestions. I like these. He says, all right, so here we go. Fish or cut bait isms for woodworking, build it or burn it, get it done or get it out, make it or break it. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> I mean, get it done or get it out. I mean, that's, that's, I like that. I mean, no. I don't know for woodworking necessarily, but just in general. Like pooping? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Either one accomplishes the goal. I mean, I'm going to start saying it to my kids. works for that too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are good. All right. Well, you know, anybody has any more of these, let us know. This is really important stuff that we're doing here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So speaking of really important stuff, you guys know that we have a sponsor and their name is Rockler. And they've got some cool stuff going on. For instance, uh, they want to share a hashtag here. It's Rockler Desks for Kids. So go check that out on uh, stuff like Instagram. See if you can find some good stuff there. With so many kids studying from home, the need for desks is way up. I know this. I made a video about a desk and uh, it's actually gotten a huge response. People really needed that at that time. It was pretty cool to see. Uh, Rockler wants to encourage woodworkers to build and donate desks for kids in their communities, the first 200 people to build a desk for donation and post their completed desk on Instagram, and again, that's using the hashtag RocklerDeskSForKids, will get a $50 Rockler gift card. Rockler has provided some easy-to-follow free plans, including one from Mark. Yay! Yay. Or you can make up your own design. Find all the guidelines at rockler.com slash is all separated by dashes here. Ready? Kids-desk-plans-diy. Uh, so you actually can go to the, the, our website. If you're listening to this episode, we'll have a link there. If you don't want to remember that, you can just, as always. Link. Yeah. As For always. Everything. Uh, they say that this initiative was inspired by Max Poindexter, the winner of the Rockler desk challenge. And he built 99 desks for donation in his community, wow. uh, for his community during the challenge. That's amazing. Wow. 99 That's desks. desks. That's a maximum effort. Ba-doom. Show. Yeah. So uh, good on you there, uh, Max Poindexter. And also, I mean, if you have to have a name, that is a great one. Right. If you have to have a name, I most of us have to. to have names. <laughs> if you have Some to have one, you may as well be called Max Poindexter. <laughs> That's a killer name. Anyway, so go to rockler.com slash kid desk, kids desk plans, 
DIY, all dashes. Go to our website, get that link, um, and check it out. And again, the hashtags Rockler Desks for Kids. So good, uh, good community effort there. Thanks for doing that, Rockler. Awesome That's to hear. Awesome. All right, so let's get to our emails today. Uh, we told you guys that the show format would be changing. We're going back to kind of the old style. That means lots of questions um, and trying to get you guys the answers to questions much more, well, let's say a little faster than, than we have in the <laughs> past year. Been a little slow. We'll try to make that turn around on quicker. punctuality. We'll do our best. Okay, so Dan wrote in, and the subject line alone is like what made me read it. So what he did worked. The subject was workbench, don't delete movement. So I'm like, all right, he doesn't want us to delete this. What's this guy got going on here? Okay, so he says, I built a Rubo workbench five years ago out of southern yellow pine. Love it. Don't hate because your benches are fancy schmancy wood you guys got from stealing from a McLumber importer dumpster or overpaying from a boutique lumberyard or cutting the tree down, milling and air drying, cutting it up again, milling again, cutting some more and flattening. I think he's talking about us, you guys. Uh, he hmm. says, I love this bench. This is my bench. Without me, my bench is just an ugly table. Without my bench, I'm a knitter. <laughs> there are many like it, but this one is mine. So he's off to a great start. I like this guy. Dan's the man. Uh, wood moves, that's fine. Flatten the top as uh, necessary. I did that initially and flattened it again three years later. Not that I uh, really felt it was impeding my work. I was just bored. So I lived for uh, four and a half years in an uninsulated, detached garage with no climate control in a sometimes brutal Midwest climate with major humidity fluctuations throughout the year. I moved just across town a few months ago, and it's now in an attached garage that is heated with forced air, though it doesn't blow directly on the bench. That's awesome for working in, but for the first time in this bench's life, the through mortise and dovetail for the legs are proud of the top by about a sixteenth of an inch. I'll plane them flat and get back to work, not to give it too much more thought, but I'm just curious why it was good for over four years, essentially out in the elements, and now it's experiencing a shift when it's supposedly in a better location. It never shifted this much in any season prior to this move. Not a big deal, and it's totally fixable and workaroundable, uh, but it's just one of those questions that pops into my head when I'm chopping out a mortise. So I'm only going to speculate here, uh, but you have it in a space with forced heat, forced air heat. <laughs> um, I assume the place might also be insulated. That level of climate control may be the only thing that's different here. And that's enough because it might mm -hmm. be significantly drier. And I don't know if you run a, um, you know, a little humidity gauge or anything in your shop. Uh, but I'd be curious to see what is the average humidity level across the course of the year in your old shop uh, that's uninsulated, unheated, uh, versus what you have now. Dry heat is a huge thing in creating a very low moisture environment. So that's the only thing that I can think is that it's simply drier now than it was before. Can you guys think of anything else? No, I mean that. Oh. I think that's the answer. That's the culprit. It's <laughs> I don't the think there's any speculation. More than likely, Midwest climate. He was probably around. What What do you, Matt? Like equilibrium moisture content, like ten percent right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, just, I mean, it's going to be lower in, in the winter, but... In the, in the winter, the relative humidity in a forest air building, which does not have a humidifier, is 10%. So yeah. the uh, equilibrium moisture content is like 4 Right, yeah. Right so, I mean, just because it's out in the elements, I mean, I, I actually think because it was uninsulated, it was higher. You go into oh, a climate-controlled yeah. environment, especially with the heat blowing right now, I mean, that's going to super dry it and what i assume it was a uh, southern yellow pine so like turned on edge so the quartered face was up 
So it shrunk across its thickness, which is why the, the legs are now proud of the surface, mm -hmm. which is another yeah, reason why I do up. not like through joinery on a workbench because of that. <laughs> Boom, baby. All right. Well, there you go. Mystery solved. <laughs> hey, we got one right. Ooh. One down. We're one That's for us. one, you guys. <laughs> we, we say we got it right. So therefore it is. Yeah, there's no, <laughs> no verification of that. Just Nobody fact check. Stop. <laughs> Stop what you're doing. <laughs> Uh, okay, this is from Janine. She says, I am ready to take the plunge and purchase hand-stitched rasps. Shannon, I know you're left-handed and was wondering if you use left-handed or right-handed rasps. Files all seem to be right-handed and they are a challenge for me to use and I always have to switch hands. Is there a trick or a learning curve? I'm leaning towards right-handed because my son is right-handed and he will use them too and eventually end up with all my tools. That's some long game thinking right there. Kudos, kudos to that. You're yeah. thinking hereditary tool purchases. I like that. So I'm getting close to having everything I need for my sculpted rocker and my son wants to also do one at the same time. I guess I could get left, I could get left-handed and he will realize what I have to do with right-handed tools. Yeah. <laughs> nice. That'll teach him. I can get behind that. Yay. Power to the lefties. Um, although I did build my Rubo right-handed. So Lioge or are you left or right-handed for a left-handed woodworker? So here's the thing. Um, I have both. I have purchased, well, both not only Lioge and RU, but I also have Nicholson. I've also got some Gramercy rasps. I even have um, uh, a couple of rasps from Rockler. Um, they are, some of them are left-handed. Some of them are right-handed. Some of them are not handed. They're supposedly ambidextrous. The Gramercy ones are, are ambidextrous. Uh, the ones that I got from Rockler, and I actually will put a, a, a link in because they have a six-piece set. I have one of them. I didn't buy the set, but they are meant to be used left or right-handed. There is a difference, um, but it's not that big of a deal, especially as you start getting into the finer grains. When you're into your, your, your smoother side of the rasps, it really doesn't make that big of a difference. Now, I'm told that, you know, it's like you should always cut with on the push stroke. And if you drag the rasp back, you're going to prematurely dull the blade. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. But so far, I haven't seen <laughs> I haven't seen that happen. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah no, shut no. up, Internet. Stop telling me what's good for me and just shut up. So <laughs> I, I, I suppose using a left-handed rasp, right-handed or vice versa, could possibly you're not cutting at the optimal angle. Um, so where this would come into play would be on the coarser rasps. When you're getting down to eight grain and below um, for really heavy sculpting and shaping, that might be a problem. Um, but here's the thing. When I get down that low and I really want to hog off wood, I actually prefer those microplane tools or um, what's the thing called? The... Um, Oh, it's a bunch of saw blades, like hacksaw blades. Shinto rasp? Shinto. Thank you. I kept wanting to say some Japanese thing. The, those <laughs> Shinto rasp, I actually have moved to the microplanes uh, almost exclusively to that because they, they do, I, I feel like it's easier to control and it leaves a little bit cleaner surface. But I know a lot of people, I used the Shinto rasp for a couple of years and then I ended up selling it because I like the microplane. But I know a lot of guys who still like, swear by those Shinto rasps and they really hog off material. Like at the same level that you would expect from like a four grain or like a three grain rasp, like where you hold up one of those things and you feel like you're in like a Game of Thrones episode, like the teeth are that big on it. It's like serious, serious <laughs> weapon. That makes a difference. And you'll find if you're using a left-handed rasp, right-handed or vice versa, it really stutters and it wants to kind of pull one way or the other because the teeth are angled 
so that it should cut best in your left hand or your right hand. And when you flip, it's kind of skating over and not cutting like it should. But once you get down to like nine grain, and really the coarsest rasp I use for a lot of cabinet making is my, my nine grain cabinet maker's rasp. It's really not that noticeable because the teeth are so small anyway. It will cut a little bit more efficiently if I use it in the proper hand, but not enough to like worry too much about it. So, uh, you know, as far as the answer to your game, the, the answer to your question, you know, if you really want to stack the cards in your favor, go with somebody like Gramercy. They make a great rasp and the teeth are not aligned one way or another. They're just kind of straight across. Um, they are actually, I think they are machine stitch, but they're done in such a way that it feels like a hand stitch rasp, um, which is the other point. Hand stitched and machine stitched, yes, it makes a difference, but here again, I find that it makes more of a difference on the coarser side of the game. So get a microplane. Like if you're going to do a sculpted rocker, you will love it for that, for a lot of that heavy removal type work. And then get yourself like a cabinet maker's rasp or a modeler's rasp. Um, I actually prefer Leoge over RU these days. Um, the, the Leoge Sapphire, Sapphire line is fantastic. And you want to talk about not dulling, like it, it will last for, you know, your lifetime and your son's lifetime. But, uh, you know, the left-handed, right-handed thing, don't stress over it. If you want, buy left-handed, because I like your idea of teaching, teaching your son what it's like to uh, be left-handed in a right-handed world. I think that's an important <laughs> lesson in humility that he should learn. <laughs> The other thing that I say, especially with hand tools, is developing a certain amount of ambidexterity is a very good thing. This is not just because I'm left-handed and pretty much all of my molding planes are right-handed planes. My rabbit plane is right-handed plane. But being able to do a little bit of sawing with both hands, a little bit of chiseling with both hands, it's going to make your life easier. So, you know, don't worry about the handedness of it and, and learn to switch hands. But hmm. yeah, as I said, I really don't think it makes that big of a difference on the finer side of things. The other point is, are you going to use sandpaper? More than likely you will. Um, you know, a modeler's rasp will get you really, really close to a finished surface. And then you switch over to sandpaper to get it finished ready. So any like difficulty controlling the surface of getting it super smooth because you're using in your left hand, it's a right-handed rasp. It'll be ameliorated later with the sandpaper. So yeah. There you go. Hey, so totally, you know, well, not totally unrelated, but um, why is it that some like countries are sort of known for certain things? So we have like French rasp makers. Right? The, yeah. the best rasps come from France. Um, Italian bandsaws. <laughs> like, what is it about Italy that they're just, uh, oh, we got the bandsaw. Like, why, why are they suddenly good about with bandsaws, but they're not known for their table saws? Should ask them about their bandsaw blade. That's I was going to say, because they perfected the art of welding. You know what? I have relatives I could call. Maybe <laughs> like, look, I know you're in Italy. You you should know about bandsaws. Um, what's the problem with my blade? They'll be like, you've never called before. <laughs> Why are you calling me now? Again? You only call when you want something. <laughs> you only call when you need uh, me. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just flashing to that that uh, scene in, in European Vacation when they show up to Clark, the Griswold family, and they're in the wrong house, and the people, like, take them in. And, <laughs> Like, who is this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm uh, friends on Facebook with one of my Italian relatives. Um, talks to me sometimes. It's weird. All right. That's called Italian. Good story. It's not weird. Yeah, it's good Italian. story, right? <laughs> I got another good story for you. Left and right-handed. It just reminded me of this. As we're talking about a young kid possibly getting a tool that is for the other, you know, hand and trying to make that work. 
I just remember this story of um, drummer for uh, Dave Matthews band, Carter Beaufort. As a kid, he would watch a drummer on TV uh, like Buddy Rich, and he would mimic his setup after his. So even oh. though Buddy Rich was whoops right handed uh, and Carter is right handed, he set his up just as being a dumb kid, set it up the way it was mirrored. So he actually set his drum set up for left handed use and learned to play that way. And then once he found out that he was actually right handed or that he should set it up a different way, he set it up right handed. That didn't feel natural. So then he something I can't remember the rest of the story, but now he plays in a way on a right handed kit that a regular right handed person can't do as well. And he's an amazing, phenomenal drummer that is doing things because he's got this kind of open handed um, grip that he uses that's very hard to replicate. But it's because of the weird path he took to get there, you know, Mm -hmm. so I'm just thinking in terms of a kid you know, teaching himself some level of, like you said, ambidexterity to, to actually be able to use both hands in ways that other people can't because he's yeah. just not following the normal path. So I don't know, kind of no, related. I, no, I tangential. think that makes perfect sense. I mean, I, I originally was put down this path by Mary May and she said, look, you can, you know, try to work with your left hand, and your right hand all the time, and you'll end up flipping the piece around or doing circles around the bench. And finally, you'll just flip it over to the other hand. And like that one little stroke with the gouge with your left hand or your right hand, whatever your dumb hand is. And you'd be like, oh, geez, that was so much easier. And then you just kind of start doing it. And you find that you can always work with the grain if you just switch hands. And yeah. I started doing that. And I've gotten to the point now where like, I'll be sawing and say my left arm starts to get a little tired. I'll switch to my right arm. You know, and I'm using a rough cut saw. So if it's slightly not as good in my right hand, it's fine. I saw with my right hand for like, you know, another minute or so and my left hand's recovered and you go back and keep sawing. You don't ever stop. It's great. Works for, you know, and it doesn't really require years and years and years of, of, of developing that, that ambidexterity. Sure. Yeah. I've never heard anyone refer to it as the dumb hand. I'm going to do that from now on. Every (laughs) time I look at my left hand, I'm like, you dummy. Like I have a dumb face. Stupid. The same. (laughs) Uh, Do you have a smarter face somewhere else? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let us know how, what your dumb face thinks about uh, this next question. Oh, I will. Don't worry. Uh, where are we here? Okay. William, this is from William. Uh, I have a feeling this question has been asked before, but I am a new listener to the show. Well, you should go back and listen to literally every episode. Welcome. And let me know, because I actually don't even know if this has been asked before. I'm not going to go search for it either. That's I've been on every show, so I'll let you know, because I can remember. Is that how that works? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> Someone told us the other day, they're like, hey, you guys know you did that exact same show like four years ago? <laughs> I was nope. like, nope. And uh, <laughs> probably worth revisiting at this point. <laughs> Okay, William actually asks, uh, do you guys have any experience with the budget workbenches, the 500 to, 500 to $900 ones that are sold by Rockler, Joe Berg, Ramia? I am a beginning woodworker with limited finances. I feel like a budget bench could suit my needs for a while, but I'm also of the mindset to buy my last tool first. Just wondering if you've heard any horror stories with these cheaper benches. Hmm. So I thought uh, we could, I'm, I'm sure we've all actually used these things. I have used oh, yeah. these in yeah. places where I'm like speaking and teaching in person. Yeah. Uh, that's like my experience with them. And they yep. suffer from two big fatal issues. Oh, they're not fatal. You can fix them because you're a woodworker. First off, <laughs> they are way too light. So at most of these in-person things, if someone's trying to like hold something in a vice, they're going to have someone else in the audience come and sit on the bench. 
to get some more weight on there. <laughs> so, you know, you can put the lies come with like shelves and things so you can load them up with some more weight so they don't slide across the floor like usually happens uh, when I've seen them in use. The other one is they don't really have a very like robust base. So they have really limited racking resistance. So if you're doing something on the end of the bench, like uh, planing or sawing or something, you will probably get some racking on the bench and be kind of be wiggling all over the place. Uh, not again, a huge deal because you can just throw some more bracing in there and strengthen up and beef it up a little bit, make it a little stiffer and you're good to go again. So it really depends. Like, yeah, it's, it's a functional bench. It'll work. Maybe you might have to put some work into it to make it uh, a little more robust and stout, but mm -hmm. you know, maybe at that price point, it's not that big of a deal. Sure. I don't know. I would say one thing that's colored my opinion of these is exactly what you said. Every time I've used it, it's been at a school or a, you know, speaking, teaching somewhere in a group situation. And I think that can be the third flaw in the, in the sense of like something that won't apply to him is the fact that it's always a bench that's used by people who don't own it. Yeah. yeah <laughs> right. Point. So it's beat to hell. It's used improperly. It's probably, they do things to it. That, like if it was their own bench, they might not do. Uh, so when you have a school and you're rotating people in who uh, various levels of experience week in and week out, that really is asking a lot of a commercially produced bench like that. So I think if you do a couple of little things like you mentioned, Matt, to to soup it up and get it get it ready for the shop and you're caring for it because you own it, it might actually be a good experience. Yeah, I, I question. See, I, I'm coming at this from a hand tool perspective and like I use those um Schoberg benches, however the heck you're supposed to pronounce that, um, teaching at, at Woodcraft a couple of times and they were completely ineffective. Like it, it basically ended up just not doing what I was planning on doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was just no way to do any kind of hand planning on it at all. Every time you saw it on it, the bench walked across the floor or it shook and rattled and racked all over the place. And, you know, this didn't, this particular one didn't have bench bolts on it. So I suppose you could just tighten those up, but even then, it was just, it was completely ineffective to use. So Matt's right. You can do a lot to it. You just have to start questioning at what point, you know, what's the expression? You can dress up a turd. Milk a duck. <laughs> you can't. Yeah, there you go. You know, you I mean. It, build it or burn it. <laughs> there you go. Get it done or get it out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you were to spend $900 on this, I would definitely not do that. Um, I mean, you could easily buy the lumber for a bench, you know, for under that price. And, you know, I'm gonna, I hear a lot of people say, well, you know, I'm just starting out. I don't know if I have the skills to build a workbench or I don't really have the tools or how do I build a workbench without a workbench? I think there's been enough of us that have shown how to build a workbench without a workbench. Mark, you've done it. I've done it. Matt, yeah. I think you did it once. Um, you know, it's, it's not that difficult to do. Plus, I don't think a workbench is particularly hard to build. Like, I mean, it, it's, there's a lot of different ways to build it, but it's also very forgiving. Like you can screw it up a lot and still have it go together and be really, really strong and really, really it's just stout. A, it's a chunky table. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and there's, there's a lot of ways that you can build a bench that is really cheap. Like the, the, my orientation semester, the hand tool school, I basically built a Nicholson style bench just using two by construction lumber. I think all told it was about a hundred dollars worth of material. I think I spent more on the hardware, like the carriage bolts and stuff than I did the lumber. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, that was something that went together in a weekend. Um, it's now three years old. Um, it hasn't moved or racked or done any problems whatsoever. I built whole projects on it. Um, 
it's a, just a better design, I think, than some of these spindly things. So there's a lot that you can do to make those spindly things a little more effective. But when you're done, they end up looking like a Nicholson bench or a Rubo style workbench. So it's yeah. kind of like, eh, you know, if he's in this last tool first type thing, this is not, I mean, this is, this is definitely a first workbench and it's a quickly out the door workbench, I think. Um, yeah. Okay. But again, if you're a power tool guy, you may have a very different experience. I could see getting away with a lot more. Oh yeah. You know, yeah, you're not hand planing is the great into it. Yeah. I mean, hand planing is the great equalizer. You cannot hand plane on those spindly benches. It just doesn't work. Yeah. They're just terrible for it. But if you're not doing, if you're using a joiner or using a thickness planer, then you might be okay. You know, I mean, clamping in place for some edge routing and, you know, a little bit of dovetail song, you might be just fine with a little bit more weight. Sure. All right, next one here is from Alex Beaver. He says, I'm very new to woodworking, and as one of my first projects, I built this really awesome herringbone coffee table for the girlfriend, and it looks great. But I built it before I knew anything about wood movement. The table is made out of pieces of hickory that I basically glued to a piece of plywood in a herringbone pattern, then placed an edge around the outside. I recently watched Mark's Common Woodworking Mistakes video and was horrified because I didn't take wood movement into account at all. Like, it didn't even cross my mind. So is this table going to bust apart or get major gaps when the humidity starts to change? I'm okay with having to rebuild this, but what would be a proper method to get the same style table, but with better design? <clears throat> All right. So you're asking the guy who just glued solid <laughs> walnut to plexiglass. Uh, you know, that's the disclaimer. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, I've seen a lot of people do these herringbone patterns and really crazy mosaic patterns. And um, some of them kind of defy wood movement rules. And we don't often see what two years, three years, what this thing looks like. And a lot of times if it does do something wrong, the person who posted that picture probably isn't going to come back and post the fix, you know, or post the, the damage that was done if it does go bad. I'm going to assume that some of them don't, you know, and sometimes, I mean, I used to work in a, um, in a pet store and we would talk about these fish and some fish are just known you don't put them together, right? But anytime you tell someone that, there's always someone who comes in and goes, well, I had the this type of fish that lived with this type of fish for four years and they never fought. And it's like, well, that's the exception that proves the rule. Like, yes, that can happen, but most of the time, this other thing is going to happen. So, I, you know, when I see those designs, I often go, well, look, if you were to do this by the book properly, the only way I can imagine doing it is by treating that herringbone pattern solid material like a veneer. You just got to go thin. The thinner you go, the less it can exert its influence on the uh, substrate that you are gluing it to. And you could put it around, uh, put a nice frame around it and lock it all in and it will behave for the most part. But if you're putting three quarter inch thick material onto a, uh, you know, which is going to move onto a platform or a substrate that is not going to move. Yes, theoretically, over time, there could and probably will be problems, but that doesn't mean that there will always be problems. There's always exceptions. So in the case of your girlfriend's table, it might be fine, but keep an eye on it. It's always, uh, these things are interesting to learn from because at some point, if it does bust apart, well, boom, now you got a data point that says, well, I shouldn't do that again, <laughs> you know? So um, that's really the simple, uh, simplest answer I can give here is you're going to want to go thinner and treat it like it's a veneer as opposed to just gluing, you know, something that moves to something that doesn't move. And you never know. It could be a barometer for your relationship. If it breaks apart, I don't know. Could be a sign. You might want to rethink that. If it stays together, put a ring on it. There you go. <laughs> okay. Relationship <laughs> advice. That's a new one for us. That's what we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. 
Uh, all right. Well, um, <clears throat> this one should be easy. I hope he says before a five minute diatribe. Um, Steve wrote in and said, uh, Shannon, why the switch from Shapton to diamond stones? Uh, simple. I changed the way I sharpen. Um, and I started to do a lot more of kind of a side to side sharpening method, uh, especially with my carving gouges. And that would wear groove in any water stone. And yes, Shapton is a lot more durable. Like it takes a long, a lot longer to, to wear groove in a Shapton, but you can still do it. Mm-hmm. So I bought a diamond stone specifically thinking I would sharpen my carving gouges on this. And I kind of adopted this kind of, I call it the fifth grade dance move. You know, you just kind of stand there and sway side to side a little bit, you know, you're, you're a little, little afraid to touch the girl and you just kind of shuffle back and forth. That's my, uh, that's my sharpening method, but I basically stay on the same line on the sharpening stone, moving side to side, rolling the gouge. And it was so effective that I was like, well, let's try that with a chisel. And it just, it it's, I've adopted it for everything I use. So, um, at the time, uh, Gramercy tools for working wood had this, uh, uh, magna base system with a 12 inch long continuous diamond stone, like a double faced one. And I was like, 12 inches, that's awesome. Like, cause I'm doing side to side stroke. I bought that and just love it. I love the simplicity of it. And, you know, before I knew it, everything was being done there. So it wasn't really, there was nothing wrong with my Shaptons. Um, I just, I really gravitated towards the diamond and that the rest is history. Okay. Okay. Ah, that's good, I guess. All right. This one is from Kyle. It says, hey guys, thanks for starting this podcast back up thank rockler right. my question is for matt regarding urban logging where do you find the trees i've been searching facebook marketplace and craigslist for free firewood and not finding anything and anything i do is either already cut up into small sections or they have no idea what species of wood they've got am i searching in the wrong place or the wrong keywords uh well i'm gonna say that i'll ask the second part of the question first they have no idea what species of wood they've got that's probably going to be the case regardless uh, it's very, very, very rare that someone actually like says this is the kind of tree that it is or the kind of log it was or whatever. Uh, so that's that's something you have to kind of get a feel for. The more experience you have uh, identifying the trees in your area, the better you'll be at just like looking at a log and having a rough idea of what this potentially is. Can, can you um, not work wood if you don't know what it is? I don't know what the species is. I can't use it. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know. Woodworkers seem to really want to know. It's a very valid point, Shannon. I I have no good answer for that. Well, hold on, hold on. Do chefs want to work with mystery meat? No. Okay, fair enough. They need to know what the protein is. Fair enough. Well played, sir. (laughs) (laughs) I can go for some mystery meat right now. I think this that that's an interesting discussion for another day, though, because like I think a lot of people like get kind of weird about like, can I use the species, or can I even like think about cutting this up into using it for a project or yeah, something. That's true. I get that quite a bit, but yeah, anyway, yeah. um, my best keyword search term is tree. It's the most broad term, <laughs> but you have to, what you really have to think about with this is the people posting these ads. Most of the time they're going to write something about they had a tree removed. They might not, it's very rare. They're going to say it was, it's like here for firewood or something like that. There's going to be some other story involved, and usually they'll use the word tree in that story. This tree was getting old. I didn't like it. We had a tree service come in and remove this, um, something like that. Firewood is kind of like, eh, you're probably going to find a lot of just rounds, firewood rounds in, in that search. I don't really have a whole lot of uh, great success looking for firewood as a search term, but 
tree has usually worked out really well for me. So that's what I use. And uh, that's that's what I got, I guess. If you if you're searching for something and you're using maybe the words like maybe log, but uh, someone that is using the word slab. So you find someone who has a down tree, but kind of knows what it could be used for. Is that a bad sign? Because I've seen ads and yeah, people people sure. share them as a joke where it's a person <laughs> who's got a walnut log and wants to, to have someone take it off my hands for $10,000. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's that's usually a bad sign. If it, if there if there's any money kind of asked yeah. in the post, immediate turn off <laughs> unless they're like, uh, oh, it's like you pay unless us, but we'll also load it for you. Right. Unless it's, like I'll that. pay you $10 to take the log. Because right. otherwise, I mean, like I've posted a, several like pickups or pickup videos. And if you're just going in there yourself to get to retrieve this thing, there is no way it's worth paying someone for the log based on how much work it is to get the heck out of their yard. Yeah. It's a lot of labor. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. And, it, and equipment. It, it, yeah, not, not to mention the hassle. damage it could cause your bandsaw mill when there's something inside of it later. Right. Ain't no problem. <laughs> and I got to tell you guys. Well, unless you buy your bandsaw blades where Mark buys his bandsaw blades, in which case. That's I do. Problem. I've had them on my sawmill. They've been fine. <laughs> well, look, just pour salt on the wound. Why don't you? It's <laughs> still you fresh. Sawmill? It's still bothering me. <clears throat> no, <laughs> Matt, Matt, here's a serious question. Have you ever reached out to like tree removal companies? Because that always seemed kind of logical to me. Like they, they reached out to me usually. Oh, okay. So I'm, I'm in this, I, I was in this position where I don't have like unlimited space for all of this stuff. And right. the, the issue for me with the tree removal companies is it's more like, a, okay, we have all the stuff come and get it now. I don't yeah. care if you don't have anywhere to put it. I got a business to run. I got things to do. I got to get this log out of my truck so I can go pick up more stuff and go to the next job. Mm -hmm. Um, and with my schedule, it's not always like I can't drop everything to go meet some guy at a job site to go pick up a tree most of the time. And that's, I just try, I try to be respectful to those people that are actually trying try to make a living by removing these things and doing this work because sure, what the last sense. thing that they need is some guy has a hassle that they got to like sit around and wait for, or I don't know. I don't know. Right. I, I cater to their needs. Or and if picky. I know that <laughs> I, if I know that I can't be there when they need me to be there, and they're on their schedule, then it's just not worth it for me to bother them. But it sounds like you've done a lot of hustle to get to a point that like they know about you and know to call you. Yeah. I mean, I spent how long I've been doing this full time now, six yeah. years, so seven years building a following on the internet where people know that I exist. Right. So, yeah. Well, There's cool. that, I guess. Well, I'm glad it's easy for you. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that just about does it for us. Remember that we are proudly sponsored by Rockler. Family owned since 1954, Rockler is your go-to source for high quality and innovative woodworking tools, finishing supplies, hardware, lumber, and expert advice. Whether you're building a simple bookshelf, a custom desk, or new kitchen cabinets, Rockler has everything you need to make your next project a success. Visit rockler.com and use the code WOODTALK, that's all one word, to receive free shipping on most orders over $39. And remember, head to rockler.com slash woodtalk to enter for your chance to win a portable drill guide with vice. <laughs> with vice. <laughs> now with vice. <laughs> with more vice. Very nice. I like that. Way to go, Rockler. I like I know, that you're right? giving stuff away. That's all. Awesome. Doing all the work. Ah, I feel like we it. just spoke about that drill guide too. Like we actually brought it up on a previous show. So that's... Yeah. Could be my imagination, but it feels relevant. Oh, so, 
Anyway, well, you guys saw we're back to this format of answering your questions. So we should be answering more questions in each show. So keep sending those questions. Go to woodtalkshow.com. There is a place where you can submit your questions there or you can submit your questions via Instagram. You can find us there at Wood Talk Show, or you can leave us a voicemail. Well, you can record a voice memo anyway and then email it to woodtalkshow at gmail.com. Of course, you could also just write out an email and send it to the same address and that would work too. But we love your questions. Keep them coming and we will do our best to keep answering them. And just just a, another little reminder because I think it's really cool, this um, this desk challenge that Rockler is doing. Build some desks. As, as the husband of a teacher, that's a big deal. <laughs> she still has kids who are like sitting in bed. <laughs> Like right. they go on camera <laughs> and they're in work. bed and, and the teachers are being told, get them out of bed. Like, don't let your kids do that. Like the teachers are trying to enforce the kids sitting at desks and like taking the school thing for real. Cause it is real. They're getting graded. So yeah, there's kids out there that don't have desks. So go build the desk and, and use that hashtag. Where the heck did it go? I can't find it in the notes anymore. Something like Rock. kids desk or something. Rockler desk for kids. Yeah, there you go. go check that out. Get some inspiration. Go build your desk and get a chance to win $50 with Rockler. That's awesome. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. And we will catch you next time. Bye-bye. See ya. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.